speaker is has been a Calvary Chapel pastor for 30 years. He's from San Jose, California, and he's one of my personal favorite Bible teachers. Could you please welcome Don McClure? Personally, one of your favorite. That's that's a very nice introduction. In fact, that's might be the nicest one I ever got. I did get a better one one time, and that was when I was asked to speak someplace, and the master of ceremonies didn't show up, and I had to introduce myself. But uh, <clears throat> actually, it is wonderful to be here with you. I. Uh, was supposed to come on previous occasions through the years, and each time something came up and it didn't happen. Then a few years ago, I wanted Skip to come and to speak for a couples conference we were having in San Jose that would take him away for an entire weekend, and he agreed to do it if I would come and speak, and so he came, and then we set it up that I would come, and I didn't. <laughs> so he threatened to write in his missions magazine a cover article about me and the lost people of San Jose that need to be reached, and so I ended up, we better work this out. But this morning, I would like to share with you out of the book of Acts, chapter 20. If you have your Bible, please turn there with me. I want to share actually a message that I had given to a pastor's conference at Costa Mesa years ago. Skip asked me if I would share that. I kept that in my notes, though I never came and did it. <laughs> I did remember what I was supposed to do if I ever did come. So here I am, and uh, I'll share a little bit out of it. Picking it up in verse 17, there is Paul speaking to the elders of the church at Ephesus, and it says, And from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus, and he called the elders of the church, and when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know that from the first day that I came to Asia, after that manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which befall me, by the lying and weight of the Jews." And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you, and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I go bound in spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Spirit witnesses in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, but that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Let's pray and we'll look at this together, shall we? Father, how we do thank you for your word. And as we open it up this morning, we do ask that you would minister to us. Thank you, Lord, for Paul, this wonderful man and all that you did within him. And Lord, thank you for this testimony that he gave to the elders of Ephesus regarding his heart and his life and what made him tick, how he determined he would live. We ask, Lord, that his determination would become ours and our lives would be wonderfully simplified by you. For, Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the most wonderful things, I think, that you ever notice about a person that you see as a godly person Christian, a mature Christian, a strong Christian, whatever word you may want to use for them, is there is a steadfastness about them. There is a stability. There is a consistency that comes with maturity that is 
makes them quite committed. And you watch them under various trials and tests and temptations, and they never waver. They just seem to go through it so valiantly, so victoriously. They're always up to the trial. They're always up to the test. They're always up to it in such a way as as you watch them go through it, there's almost something regal about it. There's There's something almost majestic about it. And that's the way the Apostle Paul was. He was a man, like so many others in the Bible, that had come to a place to where essentially, as he told them here to the elders at Ephesus, he says, nothing moves me. None of these things move me. Paul was just that sort of a man. And here he illustrates to them exactly what he meant here in Acts 19 and 20. We haven't time, of course, to go through the whole of the two chapters. But just to give you a little synopsis somewhat of it, is that here Paul, of course, at this time, he had been well over 40 years in the ministry. And during his years, he had planted many churches. He had won many converts to Christ, and he had discipled innumerable people into ministry, seeing their lives come into an identity and a fullness and a victory that only Christ could give. And it was Paul's great thrill to have his life spent in such a way. Well, during all this time, though, through the decades, Paul had made a lot of enemies specifically among the Jews and the Jewish leaders. They were, Paul was quite infamous to them. They hated him. He was there leading so many Jews out of uh, uh, Judaism and into Christ that they were laid in wait for him. They were ready for him. He was so watched and looked for and sought out, they were determined for many years to get him. And the time was now coming that they were to achieve that goal. Well, he had come to Ephesus here in Acts 19 and 20. And when he had come to Ephesus, his ministry was so powerful. It was such an awesome thing that he did. It tells us here in these two chapters. So many people were won to Christ by the the gospel going out there. That as a result of it, the silversmiths who made their uh, gods and their goddesses, mostly pornographic images uh, there that they made of Diana. There in Ephesus, the great worship of Diana and the goddess there, and all the goddess of sensuality and of sexuality. And here, this was such a great part of Ephesus, but they were coming to Christ in such massive numbers that the silversmiths were going out of business. People were not buying their gods and goddesses. Well, these, the city's commerce in this was beginning to shut down and they got so upset by it that they brought about this huge rally downtown and got the whole town together and for two hours. They just shouted and shouted and shouted unendingly for some two hours. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Can you imagine? It's a rally where just over and over is they're trying to get the people back to Diana, back to their pagan ways. And here at this time, they're looking for Paul, and they're determined they are going to do him in. Well, Paul leaves town, and there, though, he calls together the elders afterwards outside of town to meet with them and to talk with them. And as he meets with them, he has these things that he has to say with them. It says in verse 19 of Acts chapter 20 of Paul, he says, Serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. How I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it unto you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and do and also to Greeks repentance towards God. He says, now, see, I go bound in spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there. Paul says, listen, fellas, I'm going to Jerusalem. 
I'm bound by spirit. God has put this upon me. I am to go to Jerusalem. I'm bound in his love. I'm bound by the spirit to do this. This is God's plan for me. And he says, I don't know what's going to happen to me. He says, however, except that the Holy Spirit is testifying in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. Everywhere I go, all the churches are aware. Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, you will die. Don't go. We don't want you to die. This is, a, this is an avoidable issue. We don't go. This is what is awaiting you there. But Paul says, I am bound in spirit to go. I want to go. And with all my heart, I am determined to go, even though everyone else seems to be quite aware of what I'm going for. And they have a, they've got it all figured out. I'm not real sure what the plan is yet. But he then turns and he says to them something so wonderful. He says, but none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto me, but that I may finish my course with joy in the ministry that I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. Here, Paul, he looks there at the elders of the church and he says, here are you all, you'd like me not to go. And you want to talk me out of it, but I want to tell you something. It doesn't move me. It doesn't affect me. I have no fear of it. I'm not concerned of it whatsoever. Paul was somebody there that he had this, this I believe is one of the great qualities. It made him so remarkable for people to learn from and to watch and to want to be like. He was somebody that his life just seemed to rise above everything around him. And he purely was so free. Just I just do what the Spirit of God has for me. And this is what he has laid out. So I'm not moved by it. So many times we see people or we see ourselves when we go through a trial or through some struggle. There seems to be a part that we wonder, is this trial going to be the trial? Is this going to be too big? Is this going to be the one that's going to do us in or something? But Paul knew that there is no such trial in existence. Never. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. There says, there is now therefore no no trial or test or no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. And God is faithful and will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will with the temptation make a way of escape that you're able to bear it. Paul said, listen, there is no such thing as the trial that will take you under. There is none. God is one that, he, that, that, that there no, no trial will ever overtake you. You will just have trials that are common to every human being. But I want you to know whatever trial comes your life and God allows in your life, he will also provide a way of escape. Period. Done deal. There will never be a trial that will there be designed to put you under. That there is not a way of escape. So therefore, Paul looked and said, you can predetermine. You can predetermine in your heart and in your life, there's therefore no trial, there's no test, there's no temptation taken me, but I won't have a way of escape. And I can predetermine, therefore, when whatever trial it is that comes, I will take the way of escape. That's how I'll go. That's how I am going to live. Paul had predetermined it, and he's teaching you and I, so can we. But how many times is it that we know people that spiritually, they kind of live on the edge? They kind of go from trial to trial a little bit and they're, they're struggling from trial to trial and test to test and temptation to temptation, tribulation to tribulation. We're watching them. Oh no, here comes another one. This might do them in. This might be the trial, the test that they won't be able to handle and we'll lose them. Oh God, don't let it happen. But here Paul, he had no such fear, no such concern for himself or anyone else. 
I have a plaque in my home at office and, 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 uh, that I've had for oh, almost 30 years. That somebody gave me many years ago. It's a very simple yet wonderful plaque. And it just simply says, the will of God will never lead, lead you where the grace of God cannot keep you. There will never ever be any place that God will ever lead you into this life that he cannot take care of you in it. And Paul knew this. He knew this with all of his heart. He went, And he knew, I'll never be moved. I'll never be put to flight. Nothing will ever move me. I have no fear of anything ever coming. Oh, what a place to be. In 2 Corinthians 6, Paul writes and he says, We give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. That word offense means put to flight, moved. Paul looked there and he says, I will never be moved in anything. In my life, I have no concern that my ministry will be put to some blame. And he, and he looked there and he says, but in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God in much patience, in tribulations, in needs, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings. Paul looked, he says, all the events of life that come, all the trials, the tests. And he says, no matter what it is that comes, I am never worried about being moved. It's been solved. I've solved it because I know nothing will ever happen. You see, many Christians, when they're going through a trial, they're actually going through two trials. They not only have the event, the tragedy, the the difficulty, the tribulation that is there in front of them, but there's also a second one they're fighting at the same time. Not only I have this to deal with, but, oh God, will this destroy me? Is this going to do me in? Can I go on? Can I continue following you? And they're having two battles, and that complicates it. Here Paul says, I've settled the other one a long time ago. Now I only have the battle of the day, the issue of the hour, the struggle of the event, whatever else it is. And he says, but the issue is God with me. Will he lead me? Is there a way of escape? That's been settled in my heart long ago. Thus Paul was able to say, none of these things move me. He could look at them. When they're all concerned, Paul, don't go to, don't go to Jerusalem. Don't do this. They'll get you. And Paul could look at him and say, oh, will they? Oh, I hear the rumor. Maybe. But I don't care. It's been settled. This verse happened to become my favorite verse in all the Bible. It was back in 1966 when it happened. I was a Christian, but you wouldn't know it. Nobody knew it, for sure. I had come to Christ. I was in college, and I had received him a little bit earlier. But uh, I was such, I was so unstable spiritually. Uh, I, I didn't have many Christian friends. Most all of my friends, they were in the fraternity and the party and scene. And here when I, so when I was in college and I was in fraternity activities, you wouldn't have the slightest inkling that I might be a Christian. Because whatever it was and wherever I was, I was moved by the environment. It constantly controlled my life. I was somebody that whatever it was that was going on around me, I just found a way to fit in. And so if I was at church, I could fit in. I could do it. It was a little awkward, but I could do it. And because I did believe, I knew Jesus was the Christ, Son of the living God. I knew I wanted to fit in with him, and so I could work at it. But at the same time, you could take me off to school, put me in a fraternity party, and I could fit right in there very well, too. But in this December of 1966, I had a little Triumph Spitfire. It's a quite small little sports car. It weighs 1,440 pounds. I was driving down the road one night, and there was a drunk coming in the opposite direction in a 1959 Oldsmobile 98. 
And he crossed over the double line, and we had a head-on collision. My engine got shoved back into the car compartment. The car caught on flames. It looked quite miserable. And But I got out without so much as a scratch. And it was quite miraculous. And it was something there that that night after this event, I found myself sitting there reading my Bible. It was like I was, God had so touched me through this event. When I watched this and realized what had happened, and how the, my, the, my car had smashed, and here I got out, and so clearly God made it obvious to me he'd spared me and that he wanted me. And that here my family, all Christians and all praying for me that I would begin to get it together. And somehow or another God just used this to bring me. And I found myself reading the Bible that night. In the early hours of the morning I was sitting there and I came across Acts twenty twenty four. I didn't know anything about the book. I knew nothing of who the Apostle Paul was. I knew nothing of Ephesus. I knew nothing of really what he was talking about. But when I came across verse 24, when Paul is talking to these people, and he says, but none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself. I looked at that, and all of a sudden, my heart, I realized, look at this, a man that nothing moves him. I was so taken by it, because my life, I was moved to everything. I was as unstable as the environment I was in. I moved constantly, day in and day out. And here I looked at somebody that had had something happen within their life, and they said, nothing moves me. I'm set, I'm fixed, I am secure, I'm unchangeable, I'm what I am day and night, coming or going, up or down. And I found myself with envy for whoever this Apostle Paul was who I didn't know. And whatever was that was going on, I didn't know anything about it at all. I was that simple and ignorant as to the Scriptures. But I found myself looking at this verse, and I made it my life's verse. And I says, I want this for me, that I will not be moved. I want something to happen there to where I'm stable. And out of that event, I ended up surrendering and beginning to, to move away from what had moved me and separating my life to the Lord and to the Word and wanting to grow. I met my wife, Jean, fell in love with her. We got married, sold everything we had, went off to England to Bible school. And while we were in Bible college over there, my life is just so exciting. I'm beginning to read the Bible and understand the Bible. I mean, taught the Bible five hours a day. And as I'm listening to this and learning and growing, it was so wonderful. And then on top of all of that, my wife got pregnant, with, and I was so thrilled. I'd always, I mean, this idea of I always wanted to get married and settle down and raise a few head. And it was one of those things where here, my wife, she's pregnant, and I was so thrilled by it. I was so taken. I was so thankful. God, this is, I can't believe what you're doing. Calling me into yourself. You wanting to use me. Giving me such a wonderful wife. Not child, I'm so thrilled. But then my wife, during the pregnancy, she lost the child. And for the first time, I found myself moved. I found myself shaken. I found myself so frustrated spiritually inside, like I'd never quite known anything like this in, in, in the last three years of walking with the Lord. I found myself, I, had, I took a walk. And I took a long walk as I'm walking. I'm perplexed because, God, why did this happen? What have I not given you in my life? What area is unsurrendered? Why have you punished me? What have I done that has merited this? What area is unyielded? Why? I know I'm a sinner and i got a lot of growing to do, but why? I'm trying with all my heart to follow you and to know you. And now, here you come and you take a child and I know nothing happens in life without it passing by you. You weren't on vacation. This didn't slip by. This had to have. You're okay. You allowed this. Why? 
And I was staggering. I found myself, how can I go on? How can I represent? How can I serve? How can I stand before somebody that things like this happen and for no reason, no good reason at all? My head was spinning. I was young and yet zealous, but I was confused. And out of nowhere, I can remember the very spot on the road that I was and where I had stopped and was throwing some pebbles into a pond, just thinking about it. But out of nowhere, it was as if it was audible, though I've never heard a voice audibly. But it was as if God spoke to me, and out of nowhere, he says, Don, is this going to move you? And I found myself with a question before me. As I began to ponder it, instead of answering the question, I got angry. I literally got angry with God. I found myself, wait a minute, wait a minute, because I knew exactly where he got that verse. I knew exactly what he was trying to do with it. And it made me angry because that was my verse. That's my verse. I had taken that verse and used it everywhere. Since I had that night, I had signed my name with it. I'd say, Don McClure, Acts 20, 24. I'd share it. I'd give it to everyone. This was my verse. This was my life verse. It meant everything to me. And now, you know, God is taking my verse and he's using it against me. And I turned to him and say, look, you got a whole book of verses. You pick any one you want, but leave mine alone. I use that verse like I want to use it. It's mine. And I was so frustrated. And what it was, it was transpiring, but it was if it was put before me, is this going to move you? And I found myself there. It was as if the Lord was saying, done. I want you to know if you're going to walk with me and serve me in the next 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, there will be many, many, many events that will happen within your life that you will not understand. There will be many, many events that will happen in the lives of those around you that you love that you will have no good reason for. Events that could move you. And if every time something happens that I don't come up with a good answer that passes your judgment, If every time that happens, our relationship is up in the air and you're having to take a walk and decide if we can go on, we're in trouble. And I found myself there with a decision. Is it going to move me? And I had to decide, no. No, it isn't going to move me. I've got to decide, and with all my heart, I don't know how many times in life, it wasn't a one-time verse, many, many times. You see, interestingly enough, God did give us children. Three. And I had three sons. Then, of course, I mean, first I was angry at God for, for not giving me sons. Then I was, I was angry for giving them to me. You know, sort of thing. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why did you give me these children? You asked for them. Is this going to move you? And how many times through life as you're going through them? If you're a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. How many times in your job? How many times in your finances? How many events happen in life where something comes along that there is no answer for? For you're as, as perplexed as anything, and yet there the Lord looks at you and He says, Are you going to run? Are we through? Is our relationship based on what? And I began to learn I'll never question God in the, in the shadows and in the darkness what he has taught me about himself in the light. What I know of his love and his power and his genius and his glory and his majesty is not up for discussion when a trial comes, though the devil would love it to be. And when I find myself in him, and how many times, some three years ago, and day I was on a treadmill, 
I have a treadmill. I don't know why, but I have one. <laughs> use it. You may wonder how often. Somebody <laughs> suggests, why don't you plug it in? But anyway, <laughs> the thing is, I was on this thing, and I was some 17 minutes into a 25-minute program I was doing. And I felt something happen in my head, and I got real lightheaded and almost faded. But I happened to notice where I was, and I had my, and I found myself there turning and so why you fat I literally say you fat slob just quit it and keep it and finish it so I finished it but something happened my sight got blurred in my right eye and when it got blurred it went from bad to worse till I had to end up I went to an ophthalmologist where he put me through a series of tests finally and when he was through he sent me down and he said uh, you've had a stroke and you've lost basically most all the vision in your right eye I said I never stroke he said, he had a stroke. I said, I didn't have a stroke. I've heard about strokes. I didn't have a stroke. He said, I'm a doctor. You had a stroke. <laughs> and so, <laughs> okay, then we'll go with your opinion, you know, on this thing. But when I went home and explained it to my wife, she didn't agree. So we had to go back and he had to discuss it with her. <laughs> but the thing is, is, is these events, all, all sorts of things happen in life. And as they come there... God is constantly just wanting that things happen, and as they happen, so many events can happen, and this is going to move you. I like that eye. It was a nice eye. <laughs> last year, in fact, I really believe the reason I had to cancel last year, they were supposed to be here, but last year, I had a, they had an emergency surgery, and they whacked out a bunch of my lung. And, you know, you go through things there, and as you go through them, you may wonder why. Is this going to move you? But there's many, many events that happen in life. And when they come your way and you find yourself as you go through them and you're honestly, seriously wondering, is this going to be the thing? But I believe with all your heart you can determine it is not going to move you. You can predetermine it. You can settle it. Whenever it happens, there's no discussion. My life, Lord, is yours. And the reason Paul could say, I'll tell you my secret. I'll tell you why nothing moves me. Very simple. He says, neither do these things move me because neither do I count. None of these things move me because neither do I count my life dear unto myself. You want to know the secret of not having anything move you? Simply don't have your life dear. Don't allow your life to become more dear to you than anything heaven has planned for it. Being able to give your life over in such a way, the great secret to Paul to not being moved is that he was a surrendered man. His life wasn't dear. Paul could look and say, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Paul said, I have defined the delightful, wonderful experience of being dead to self and alive to God. And whatever it was that I lost in my death, it has been so wonderfully replaced by my life in Christ. I don't miss the death. But it merely was the doorway through which I found his life. So Paul could even say, I die daily. I surrender daily. Whatever event that there is, Lord, it isn't me, but it's you. I am crucified. I reckon the old man to be dead indeed, but alive unto God. And there is he ever liveth, he liveth unto the Lord as far as Paul was concerned. Alan Redpath used to describe a Christian. A Christian is no more than a dead man on furlough. That's how we ought to think. The Christian ought to be somebody that they can look and say, none of these things move me and you want to know why? My life is not dear unto me. So many people, their great trouble is their life, they, 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 want, they would love to have the stability and have nothing move them, but they won't pay the price of death. Paul said that's the whole secret. 
That's the key. 2 Corinthians 11.23, Paul writes about other people out ministering. And he questioned them a little. He says, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labor is more abundant. In stripes above measure. In prisons more frequently. In deaths often. From the Jews five times I've received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I spent in the deep. In journeys often. Perils of waters, perils of robbers, perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils of the city, in perils of the wilderness, in perils of the sea, in perils of false brethren, in weariness, in toil, in sleeplessness, often, in hunger, in thirst, in fastings, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things that come across me daily. Paul looked there and he says, you know, one of the most exciting things to me in life, he says, I just go from peril to peril. This poor guy, there wasn't a safe place on the planet for him. Perils of the land, perils of the sea, perils in the wilderness, perils in his countrymen, perils of the Gentiles, perils at robbers, perils in the city. Wherever the guy went, there was only one thing for sure. A peril is going to be, uh, you know, is ahead for you. But Paul was a man that he'd learned to delight in them. He learned there to realize, Lord, put me through anything because all it does is give me you and my life is yours. I don't count my life dear to me. I've given it to God. And so many of us, on one hand, if I was to ask you, have you given your life to the Lord? You'd say yes. Have you given your whole life to the Lord? You'd say yes. But it's kind of conditional in the sense that he just take it. You know, like in, in a way that it uses it in our ways that are okay and good and wonderful. Most of us have. I have. We'd all like to have this thing where one day, you know, we serve the Lord, walk with Him. 80, 85 years. You know, we find ourselves 90 years old one day having the children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren all over for a nice party. Invite them up, you know, and say, well, God bless you all and pray over them all. Say, I'm going to go up and go to sleep now and go to heaven. God bless you. Goodbye. I'm going home. And say, God, my life is yours. But I've come to find God usually, he doesn't take it as a whole. With me, personally, I've come to find that I tell God, my Lord, my, my whole life is yours. And God says, great. Thank you very much. I'm going to take it. But I'm going to take it in pieces. Just parts. He's never come for the whole. I've come to say, God, take my life. I'd really, you can have the whole thing. Just take it all. Take it to heaven, please. Particularly when I had teenagers. You know, sort of a thing. Anytime you want it, honest, I'm ready to die. <laughs> but he's never taken it as a whole. He's only come for parts. He comes there and says, here, I want a child. Or here, I want an eyeball. I don't know what he wanted an eyeball for. <laughs> I have the vainest idea. So somebody pointed out, it was your right eye, wasn't it? <laughs> and it's interesting because Jesus said, if your right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. <laughs> so it must have been a naughty little fellow. But anyway, <laughs> but he wanted it, and can I sit there when he just wants a part? Can I yield it over when he just says, here, I just want a lung. Just a lung. Just, that's it, just a lung. We'll leave the rest kind of working. <laughs> I just want parts of you. I told my wife, I said, on my tombstone, I want you to put, may he rest in pieces. Wherever they are. But you know, 
But the test is, as one time in mathematics, maybe some of you remember the old equation, that the whole is equal to the sum of its parts. And if I want to come and tell God you can have the whole, that means any part of it is His. And God, usually for most people, He comes in parts to test if He honestly has the whole. As somebody once said, either Christ is Lord of all or He is Lord not at all. And if I come and say, Lord, you are Lord of all of my life, then when he comes for a part, he comes for a relationship, he comes for a job, he comes for finances, he comes and he says, I want this part, I want this issue. And he cripples something or he wounds something or he allows something to go through a trial or a peril. But in that process, when I can sit there and say, Lord, you want it, you can have it. Obviously, I don't need it. And there's something that you want to do in my life that will be all the better because of it. One of the things that is so wonderful, as Paul says, I am learned. I'm persuaded in whatsoever you know, environment I'm in, whatsoever situation I'm in, therein to be content. Paul said, I can be exal- exalted, I can be abased. I can be filled, I can be empty. I can be clothed, I can be naked. A lot of people, they can only be exalted. They can only be clothed. They can only be filled. Paul said, that's so sad, I can do it all. You can put me up or you can put me down and I have found in whatsoever state I'm in to absolute joy and contentment that can't be reversed or taken away because it's immovable. Nothing moves me because my life isn't dear unto myself. And then he says that I may finish my course. Oh, this is so wonderful. I I, I had no idea when this verse became mine what what an adventure it would be and how I would look at this verse and come to love it through the years. But here, Paul, he says that I may finish my course. Paul has a course. And you know, God is love as he's without respecter of persons and you have a course. You realize that you have a course and it is yours. And Paul says that I may finish my course as far as Paul was concerned. God had a predetermined, predefined, preplanned, prelaid out, you know, process and path of life for him, a course. Paul says, God has a course for me and I will finish my course. And the Spirit is driving me to Jerusalem. I'm off. I'm going. I won't be denied it. I won't miss it. Paul was a man that he didn't look at it when he was in perils in the sea, in perils of the land, in perils, you know, of his countrymen. And when he was a night and a day in the deep, or when he was getting 40 lashes less, one five times, or three times, spoken, you know, beaten with rods. He didn't sit there in time and say, God, what are you doing? Why is this happening? Some coincidence, or some failure in heaven, or some happenstance. Paul said, this is my course. All of these things are part of God's plan that I would go through it and in it. Somehow or another, my life would reveal something of his power, something of his strength, something of his majesty, something of his glory that wouldn't be otherwise known. More powerful than preaching is living. And Paul could say to reveal Christ, not just to preach him. To let him come to the full fruition within my being. I am persuaded, Paul, with all he was determined that that was happening. He says, I have a course. And Paul loved his course. You have a course. Now, most people look and watch somebody else's. I wonder how many of us right now, if we could have somebody else's course, we'd say, I'll take it. And we, we want somebody else's. We won't take our own oftentimes. It's already been tried. It doesn't work. Peter, you may recall when Jesus there was at the telling Peter what manner of death he would die. Peter there, he looks over at John, and he sees John, and here Jesus is telling Peter what manner of death he was going to die. He looked over at John. He said, what about him? 
I'll take door number two. Give this one to him. Let him have this. He's a dying sort of a guy. It'd be good for him. You know, but he's looking, winding away, and Jesus said, what is the difference to you if it is I let him live until I come again? This is your course, Peter. This is your plan. This is my will for you. This is how you are going to reveal my glory as no one else can, Peter. And when you're old, you'll be led to where you don't want to go, but in it, I'll be there with you. And it'll be a great and powerful and glorious, wonderful thing. And when we can be determined, we're going to have his course. When my wife had decided she was going to go with me to the ophthalmologist, she wanted to straighten him out. You see, she knew a few things about ophthalmology. He didn't know that she wanted to make sure she learned. he learned. So we're in there, and he's telling her, you know, explaining to her, well, it's not going to get any better. She said, yes, but we've, we've you got this plan of vitamins. We're going to go on some vitamins, and that'll help it get better. And he says, no, it's, um, vitamins might be nice, but that's not going to get better. Well, he's going to get on this good diet. And that's the vitamins and the diet. Well, it's never going to get better, but that might help. In, you know, in other ways, but it, this isn't going to work. And he's going on trying to explain to her. And over and over, several times, as she keeps on trying to, the course he missed in ophthalmology that she knew. She was trying to tell him to the place where he'd say, okay, it's going to get better. Well, he wouldn't back off. And as he, this, they're kind of going through their little discussion, I'm sitting there, and out of nowhere, the Lord just spoke to my heart, because I'm sitting there saying, Lord, what's going on here? And out of nowhere, the Lord just spoke to my heart, and as this, I was just walking down this little road with him. Down this hallway, and here were all these doors that I had seen before, detour, not now, later. We've all had those. Something's going on in your life, but God says maybe later, not now. You know, and all these other sort of things that had been there. But all of a sudden he stopped at a door and the door said, never get better. They're just talking and that doctor say, never get better. And it was like the Lord just opened the door and he says, Don... Would you go down this road with me? And I looked at it, and it was, it was like it was an invitation. It wasn't like he was opening the door and kicking me into it and saying, Ha! Ah, see how you do down that road, buddy. You know, but rather than that, it was like he opened it up in this wonderful invitation. Don, will you go down the road and never get better? Everybody goes down it sometime. And I found myself, it was like this wonderful, exciting adventure. I said, Lord, I'd be honored to. I'd love to go down it. I've never been down, never get better. Everything in my life that's happened, there's always been a solution later or some other way. But to have something that will never happen. Lord, I want to discover something about you in this event I would never know. Let's go. And I sat there absolutely thrilled. And to have things happen within your life to where you sit there and realize the Lord says, this is your course. You don't have to avoid it or run from it. Paul says, I'm going to finish my course. Last year, I was having lunch with one of my elders, and as we were having lunch, all of a sudden, I started, don't want to get too gory here, but spitting up pure blood. Ruined his lunch. And the, uh, ruined mine and a number of other people in the restaurant. But we rushed off to an emergency, only to find there that I had been ingesting tremendous amount. One lung had filled up with blood. It was starting to go into the other lung. I was spitting it up, kind of drowning in my own blood while the panic, trying to figure out what's going on. I was in and out of consciousness. Sensing there, this was it. That before they were going to come up with a solution, I was going to be gone. As they're running around in emergency and getting all sorts of doctors to figure out what it is. Until finally they got enough in there and did enough tests and kept me hanging on there. Until they determined as they got into my lung and cleaned some things out and checked it out. They come to find there with this picture they came back that I had a malignant tumor that had ruptured the main artery in my lung. And there the doctor had come and said, we got to go in and do emergency surgery and cut out a hunk of this lung all around it and everything. And so I said, well, do it. 
go ahead. And so we signed all the paperwork. And in there taking me, and as we're going down the hall, this doctor, he looks at me and looks down and he says, I want you to know we're going to do everything we can. Well, I just looked at him because already I'm sitting there, you know, is this going to move me? <laughs> and, say, you know, and I realize, hey, I've already had teenagers. <laughs> you know, I mean, come on, God, we've been over this a long time ago. But here it's something, or is this going to move me? And I just was so thrilled. There was something there, Lord, I don't know what's going on here, but let's make the most of it. And here is he's wheeling down, and he says to me, and he says, we're going to do all I can. I said, well, Doc, you go ahead and do that. And I said, and if you do fine, and, I'm, and I, you bring me back, I'll deal with it. I'll be fine. But I also want you to know if you don't. That's okay, because I'm a Christian. And to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Absent from the body, I'll be present with the Lord. So if you lose me, the best thing in the world will happen to me. He sat there and he looked at me, dumbfounded. And he says, that's good. It was I. He just kind of like a doctor, you know, positive mental attitude. That's what I like. Whatever works, you know. And I looked at him, I grabbed his hand. I said, wait a minute, hold it, back this up. I said, this isn't good. This is true. I said, I want you to know something. I have been getting ready for this for 30 years. I just didn't know it might be today. And the great thrill to me, the great adventure is when you only have the issue in front of you. It's only all right whether I live, I live. If I die, I die. Absent of the body, present with the Lord. Let's get on with whatever the event is. I want to go down my course. Mine. You determine it. You planned it. And if this is it, then let's have at it. And I don't want to miss any blessing in it. Because the thrill was Paul, with Paul was not only that I may finish my course, but he said that I may finish my course with joy. Paul looked and he says, I'll tell you why nothing moves me. Nothing moves me because my life isn't dear. My life isn't dear because I have got a course that has been laid out for me that only God can fulfill it by his power and his glory. And I have been loving every moment of it for the last decades. The thrill of it, the excitement of it, seeing Christ in his love and his power and his majesty and watching him work in and to and through and all around me through these years. Paul could say, he has given me a course. And he said, I will finish it with joy. When these leaders of Ephesus are looking and saying, Paul, you can't go. Don't go to Jerusalem, you'll die. It'll be terrible. And Paul could look at them and say, I beg your pardon. I beg your pardon. I've been sharing his life for over 40 years. I've been sharing his love. And in every trial and every issue, all he does reveals to me something of him I didn't know until it came. Something of his glory, something of his love, something of his strength, something of his wisdom. Something of the revelation of himself to me and then through me to others. And you want to keep me from Jerusalem? You've got to be kidding. I won't be denied Jerusalem with all my heart. It's why I was created. It's my course, and I am going to enjoy every minute of it. I'll finish it with joy. You see, I see a lot of Christians. They go through, and they've got the trial, and they accept it. I'll finish my course. But it's with misery. Everybody around them is going to be miserable. They're going to make sure everybody knows what God has done to them. And they're angry, or they're bitter, or they're wounded, or they're suffering. This is the worst trial I've ever and they go through it so terribly. And everybody's heart goes, oh, God, why are you doing this to them? And they're finishing. No, but I'll, I'll, I'm going to stay in God's will. 
this this is what he has for me and i don't know why when i get to heaven i i'll i've got some i'll ask i'm gonna i'll get some answers I don't know how many of you know people. You don't have to raise your hand. But we all, boy, when I get to heaven, God's got some, I got some real questions. I got some real heavy questions. I want to know why. I want to know why. Paul had no questions. Paul had absolutely no reservations. I've got a suggestion in for the Lord. I don't know if he's going to take it, but I think it's a great one. I think before everybody goes to heaven, everybody with questions, right outside the entrance to heaven, they ought to have a huge arena. It'd have to be, hold hundreds of millions probably. And it just says, before you come to heaven, go in here, all your questions will be answered. Just a big arena. Just everybody, they're all, okay, I got questions. Okay, go in here, go in here, go in there. I'd pack out, I'm sure. All these people with questions. But instead of going myself, if I was the Lord to answer the question, I wouldn't do it. I'd send a committee of my friends. I'd send people like John the Baptist, who got his head cut off. I'd send like Isaiah, who they believe is the prophet in in Hebrews, who was sawn in two. I'd take people like Peter, who was crucified upside down. I'd ask people like uh, Stephen, who was stoned. I'd ask Moses, who spent 40 years in the wilderness. I'd ask, you know, Joseph, who spent all those years in prison for doing nothing wrong. And I'd maybe get a whole group of these. Maybe I'd take somebody like Hannah, who was childless. Long and long and long to pray that God would give her a child. Maybe I'd take somebody like Naomi. This wonderful woman who married a fellow named Boaz, but he, and they had two sons, but then there was a famine in the land and everything got difficult and they go down to Moab. He gets sick. The boys marry some girls down there, but the boys get sick. The husband dies. The two sons die. She loses everything that's dear to her. Then she tells her daughter-in-law, you bought a split too if you're smart and get away from me. And one of them says, amen to that and leaves. And the other one says, I'll go with you. But to see the plan that God one day did have for, for Naomi. There when she was to come back and Ruth was to meet a man named Boaz. And then he did take her and there they did have a child named Obed who had a child named Jesse who had a child named David. King David. But here is, I'd maybe have some of these women and some of these men say, would you just go be a committee and answer some questions? A lot of people, some of them are bitter and angry about kids or no kids. Or they've got trials with this or trials with that. Would you just go answer their questions? I think just watching them just walk in would settle most of the questions. Could you imagine there, if he came to me and says, Don, I understand you got some questions. Come up here, take the play, you know, take the mic. Come and ask us some questions. And I want to come up to there and I said, yeah. You know, these guys, by the way, they'll be easy to pick out. <laughs> easy to pick out. Stephen is the guy who was stoned. He'll be a little lumpy. You know, <laughs> Peter will be hanging upside down. John will be the guy holding his head in his hand. <laughs> Isaiah will be the guy who's beside himself. But I mean, they'll all, as you look at all these guys, but here is the committees up there. And then I come up to the mic and say, what's your question? I say, I want to know how come I lost my eye. <laughs> I can just see it now. Peter. What? John the Baptist. What did he say? Look, I lost my head, you idiot. What is your problem? Isaiah said, and I, I'm still trying to get up. But I mean the whole thing of sitting, but to glory in Christ, our lives are his. We didn't know why at the time. But what we do learn is how to glory in him. Paul said, I reckon that the sufferings of this time can never be compared with the glory that shall be revealed. 
Whatever it is that the Lord looks at you and he says, here, I want this part. I want this area. And he wounds something or touches something. Something difficult happens. But to sit there in the midst of it, you can determine now. I'll never be moved. I don't ever want to be moved again. And you want to come for parts, you come for parts. You want to come for the whole, come for the whole. But all I do know is none of these things will move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, but that I may finish my course with joy. We haven't got time for the rest of the verse. So I'll just quickly tell you what I would have told you if I had the time. He said, no, I won't do that. But he said <laughs> that I may finish my course with joy to testify the gospel of the grace of God. He, Peter, Paul said, whatever time I've got, I'm going to tell the world how wonderful and loving and graceful God is. How beautiful it is to have met him and to have him in my life and to lead me and guide me through these years. He's mine and I'm his. Nothing will ever take that away. Today, maybe you're going through a trial or you know somebody, but as you're going through it, you're going through two. Not just the thing is in front of you that God says, here, let's go through it and make the most of it. Honestly, it'll be an envious, exciting journey someday. You'll be so glad you went through it. When you come through the other end and see what I have yet to do, if you'll let me provide the way of escape. Today, you can determine it's not going to move me. I'll never be moved again. Not exciting. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we ask that you would take it to our hearts. And Lord, I pray for those that while on one hand we may laugh. But Lord, there are some here in great sorrow. There are some here in great pain. There are some here with great questions. Jesus, I pray that you would spoil them with the presence of yourself, that they look and realize that the sufferings of this present aren't even worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed. Jesus, reveal your glory. In any part, any area, if I tell you my life is yours, then all the parts are yours. And whatever part you touch or move in, Lord, may my life be one that bends to you and your love. We ask that you just take your word now and that you'd comfort and that you would strengthen and that you would bless each and every one that is here. For Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.